0: Hi friends, welcome to the Friends of France Podcast. In this safe space, we are favored in each episode with the presence of an expert guest from different fields and specialties as we learn about their life journeys, their successes, possible regrets, and realizations, their work, why they do what they do, and even their life outside of work. In here, we tear down common myths and misinformation with up-to-date, evidence-based science and data simplified for anyone to digest. We don't shy away from topics that can sometimes be polarizing or taboo. We normalize the humanization of healthcare and its workers and we promote the importance of self-care and safeguarding your mental health. Please keep in mind that the conversations in this podcast are for educational and informational purposes only. They are not implied or intended to be a substitute for professional medical diagnosis, advice, or treatment. Please always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare providers regarding a medical condition. Are you ready? Let's go! Hello, hello. Happy Friday again, everybody. You know what that means. It's another Friends of France Day. It's a new episode uploaded for you this morning. It is December 30th, which means Hanukkah, which ended on the 26th of December, which was also Kwanzaa, and Christmas, which happened on the 25th, are finally over. So I hope you had a great holiday dinner or meal or just spending time with your family and shopping and giving gifts. I hope you had a great holiday weekend. But we have another holiday coming in about two days, and it's the holiday that will be the precursor to the other holidays for the rest of the new year. You got that right. It's going to be 2023, another year, a new year. Can you believe it? I'm very curious how your 2022 went. How was your past year? Was it full of fun and new experiences, joyful time with yourself adventuring or with your family and friends, or possibly a not so happy year? Well, whatever it may be, I hope that we all have a great new year ahead filled with happiness and new adventures and more opportunities and just more time to enjoy the world around us. With the new year comes also new resolutions. New year, new me, as they say. Do you have anything in mind that you want to do that's new for the next year? All I know is that I'm so excited to travel. You know, some few places outside of my usual bubble here in New York City or my usual travels to LA. So I'm looking forward to that. And speaking of the new year, I realized that this idea of new and new beginnings is quite related to the topic of our podcast today. Some may be starting new jobs, some may be starting new semesters in their studies, and some may be taking new roles in their life, whether it's a new position at work, or maybe it's an actually different role that they've never been, like new parents, people who are going to have babies for the very first time, or maybe even the second time or the third time, as each birth is a new beginning, a new adventure within their role of parenthood. You know, I will never forget the first time that I watched a live vaginal birth during my maternity clinical rotations back in nursing school. Despite the unimaginable pain and labor that the mom went through, you could just sense and see that unconditional love right when the baby was born. And it was just one of the most magical and most beautiful things I've ever seen. I then remember that we saw that baby getting their first physical assessment with the pediatrician in another room. And then we were talking with the nurses about the plans for the mom's discharge, along with the baby, with all the education, all the postpartum care. But you know, we also saw that this is not the case for all new parents. We also rotated many times in the NICU or the neonatal intensive care unit where we saw babies who could not go home right away with their parents because either they were born too early or prematurely which is usually defined as any time before 37 weeks of pregnancy and may need more medical support in the hospital or even babies who are born overdue which is usually defined as anything after 42 weeks of pregnancy. And also for other indications, we saw babies who came out of other complicated births or those who have birth defects or the more accepted term now, which is congenital anomalies. This episode was actually live recorded back in January of 2022, which is designated to be National Birth Defects Month, and we wanted to raise awareness on it. Before I introduce my guest, I just wanted to share the tidbits of my most favorite memories that I cannot forget during my rotations in the NICU as a nursing student. I remember getting this tiny, tiny diaper that I still have in my closet until now. It was just the cutest thing ever. I also remember doing a heel stick on the baby for the very first time. And I believe that it was for the PKU test or for phenylketonuria and it was a heel stick. And I was afraid. I was just the most scared person at that moment. I remember trying to gently grab the baby's foot and then they're just like, you gotta hold on a little bit harder. And so I did. And then I started to stick the foot and, you know, we had to get the blood and the baby started to cry and I just felt so bad. And I'm like, am I breaking the baby's foot? Am I hurting the baby? It was just one of the most heartbreaking things ever. And I never wanted to do it ever again. (laughs) And one last memory, because I will never forgive the nurse. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So I was instructed to listen to the heart sounds using the stethoscope of a baby in the NICU. I didn't receive any history of the baby yet. And the nurse, who was the (laughs) tita, which means a Filipino nurse, the tita said, oh, the baby is a heart murmur because they have a congenital heart disease. I believe they had pain ductus arteriosus, or PDA. And I was like, okay. So I took the stethoscope and I started listening to the chest in every area that we were taught that there would be a heart (laughs) sound. And I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't hear anything. And then the tita was like, oh, did you hear it? I'm like, Mm, no not really and the tita was like keep listening do you know what a uh, murmur sounds like and all of a sudden i'm just like yes yes i do and you know you have health assessment skills classes which i thought i knew what a heart murmur really sounded like during that time i kept listening and our clinical chef was almost done i just lied and i was like oh i heard it and then she was like show me where you heard it and then i put it at the apex of the heart and i was like um that's where i think i heard it so the tita was like okay let me listen and she <laughs> so she put the stethoscope on the baby's chest and she was like i don't hear anything it sounds normal to me i was like oh and she was like you know i was just kidding with you this patient has no heart murmurs i was just checking to see if you actually know what the murmur sounded like <gasps> the betrayal well i <laughs> we just wanted to share that core memory will never forget you. this is why i avoided the NICU i'm just kidding Anyways, enough about me and my NICU experiences. Let's talk about the actual NICU now. Like I was saying before with new parents or new adventures within parenthood of those who already had babies in the past, the NICU is also a very somber place. Becoming new parents, I can't imagine that anyone would ever hope or imagine to be in a place like the NICU, which is an ICU for the neonates, for new babies. That means there is something wrong and you have this ongoing anxiety and fear for your own baby. I remember all of the parents always asking, like, is my baby doing okay? Will they be okay? When will they go home? I just can't imagine the fear and the trepidation that they felt. Truly, there are many questions surrounding the NICU. How do we support these new parents and these babies in distress? What causes birth defects? What are the risk factors for premature birth? How do we support the families after they leave the NICU and go home, especially those with congenital anomalies that will follow them throughout their life? There was no better expert I could think of to talk to us than Dr. Kate Ruby, a board-certified neonatology physician with residency training in pediatrics, and a scientist being a National Institute of Health-funded research fellow focusing on pulmonary nanomedicine. Outside the laboratory in the hospital, Dr. Kate also generously shares her education and training in promoting evidence-based education on social media, especially on Instagram and Twitter, and also magazine and news outlets, like recently In, in the know by Yahoo, where she shared about infant health give it up for dr k
1: hello
2: how are you
1: doing good thank you i mean i'm doing cold actually is the correct answer oh my gosh is it cold there too it's, it's like
2: very very cold here <laughs> it
1: is freezing in here and the
2: oh, like yeah. nor'easter's coming i'm like uh I
1: know. I heard there's supposed to be like a snowstorm here, like over the weekend. So we'll see how that goes. But thank you so much for being with me tonight. If you could just first please introduce yourself to everybody. Hi, I'm
2: Kate. Uh, I'm a neonatologist in Philadelphia. And I make educational, sometimes also sometimes just lifestyle content on Instagram.
1: (laughs) Yes, we love to see it. It's funny because I know earlier this afternoon we were (laughs) venting out in our DMs about. misinformation and uh, the sources of this misinformation are usually the people who shouldn't be talking about a certain topic. And it's actually the main reason why I, I started this whole series. Anyways, you're a neolithologist you're a physician. For those who don't know, but many may know, it's a long road. Four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, X amount years of residency or research if you decide to do so, and fellowship as well. Beyond all of that, it's not just, the time it's the effort there's a lot of events that you probably couldn't go to and also from your stories earlier the amount of money (laughs) involved (laughs) the amount of debt involved oh
2: the Uh, death stories
1: (laughs) all your death stories that i know keeps you up at night i can imagine as someone who's been practicing for some time now do you have any regrets despite of all of those time and money and effort (laughs) involved
2: Um, I think it depends on the day.
1: (laughs) How I feel.
2: But a really hard transition for myself and most of the people I know that went undergraduate, like almost straight into medical school, is that all of a sudden everyone graduates from college and they have jobs and they're making money and you're still doing the same exact thing you were doing for the last four years. And I think that was like a, lo- a hard transition to see people start like going on vacation when you don't have like an income to go on vacation and yeah. you're still studying. So there are always hard days. But now when I look back, I'm always like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Like, I like, this is my job. Like, I, get yeah. there- I can't believe this is what I do every day. Like I take yeah. babies I think like anything. They're good days or bad days, yeah. but overall, yeah. I guess at this point, <laughs> I would do it again if I had to. <laughs>
1: yeah. I think it th- that would stem from passion though, right? To go through all this journey of years and effort. Where did that inspiration come from to pursue medicine? Was there like a family member or a friend or a personal experience that you went through
2: yeah i actually i mean i had a pulmonologist when i was growing up who i really yeah. liked so yeah. maybe him but no one in my family is a doctor and so i didn't really know that much about yeah. it outside of like my interactions with a pediatrician but when i was in school i was really loved like all the science classes and yeah. stuff sometimes i tell people i remember in high school they made us go to this like cancer symposium i have yeah. no idea why we were doing this as high but they like had us do this cancer symposium and like all my friends were like reading like 17 magazine like cosmopolitan like behind their like books and i took like 15 pages of notes during it and i was like oh my gosh you are a total nerd but then i was like also maybe this is what you want to do If yeah. you're the only person who was interested in this and yeah. so a lot of those sort of like interest in science classes experiences yeah. really sent me in this yeah
1: direction. and there you go you were you were meant to become a physician and again with all of those loans stacked upon each other. I think that's also a big barrier to many students who may want to pursue medicine, right? But what would be your number one advice for someone who wants to pursue medicine like beyond all of the logistics of the money and the time and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, I tell everyone... Well, I have two, I guess, biggest pieces of advice. One is to make sure that you're just exploring anything outside of science classes because I feel Mm -hmm. like there are so many prerequisites to like, you have to do well in this, you have to do well in that to get on the road, that sometimes people get tunnel vision. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, if you really, really want to know that medicine's for you, explore everything because- Either the two options are you either realize that you love something else more mm-hmm. or at the end of the day, you become this well-rounded person who has common experiences that mm-hmm. you can then use to connect with your patients because yeah. no one wants to go and be treated by a robot. Either you cement, you know what you want to do and you get some really awesome skills from that, or maybe you change your mind, which is also fine too. Mm-hmm. But that's why I think it's so important to like really take every opportunity that comes to you and explore things that are not traditionally thought of as like, oh, that's pre-med, oh, that's a doctor yeah. thing. And then my other thing just for get actually getting into medical school is volunteering is so, yeah. so important on mm-hmm. an application that I always tell everyone, like, if you think you want to do this, you need to find something that interests you mm-hmm. and start volunteering somehow with it. And especially because lots of volunteer opportunities are good, but one volunteer opportunity that lasts many years actually yeah. is something that is held yeah. in like a higher esteem, usually by yeah. an application committee. So
1: Yeah beyond the whole medical school application process that's so rigorous. It's medical school itself too, right? And it's two years of the academics and then two years of your clerkship Rotations. I'd always have friends who'd say, oh, I'm going to medicine because I want to be an OB. And then they come out of medical school and they're psychiatrists. I think there's this ongoing thing that you really do not know what you want to be until you have gone through your rotations in medical school. As an elitologist now, is that what you've always wanted? Or is it also something that you saw during rotations like this is what I want to do?
2: I actually always knew I wanted to be in pediatrics, but mm-hmm. I originally was really interested in hematology, oncology, because I wanted mm-hmm. to treat cancer patients. And just, again, like you said, through every experience, I kind of learned something new. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that. Specialty probably was not the right Mm -hmm. fit for my interests and for, you know, kind of how I've envisioned my future work life Mm -hmm. integration. And so then I actually was in OBGYN. And I was like, I love that. Like, this is so weird, because I know I want to do kids. And what I realized is I liked OBGYN because I liked the baby in the delivery Mm -hmm. room. And so like, they'd be like, okay, Kate, like mom needs this. And I'd be like, well, who cares what mom needs? Because there's a (laughs) baby over here. (laughs) And so then I really like had to sit with myself and be like, it's the baby in the room. There we go. Then I learned that there's a whole specialty where you can be a pediatrician who goes to deliveries and only has to worry about the baby in the deliveries. There we go. And
1: for those who don't know, how does the path to neonatology look like? Well, obviously you just said the pediatric residency, right? Mm -hmm. And how many years is that?
2: Yeah, so it's three years of a pediatrics residency, mm-hmm. and then you do a pediatrics board exam to become a board-certified mm-hmm. pediatrician, mm-hmm. and then you do three more years of specific fellowship training.
1: Mm, and that's for neonatology. Yeah, just for
2: neonatology. So that's like, once I graduated from residency, I was like, finally, all I have to worry about for the rest of my life is babies.
0: <laughs> As someone with acne and blemish-prone skin, Facial scarring and hyperpigmentation have always been my issues since high school. Acne has robbed me of my self-confidence throughout my schooling years, and having its visible reminders in my face to this day continues to do so. But I have found silver linings of hope having used RescueMD's DNA Repair Complex Serum. Plastic surgeon developed, RescueMD seeks to harness the powers of science and two decades of patient experience in providing a multi-benefit skin renewal serum that provides real results and improves the appearance of visible skin damage. Beyond my personal skin concerns, the serum also seeks to address a breadth of damage from varying external stressors, including hypertrophic and surgery scars, burns and chemical burns, cuts, scrapes, and bug bites. All of these are targeted by supporting the skin's natural healing process through its infusion with Rust-KMD's patented LabCall, a proprietary anti-inflammatory skincare technology that targets skin damage at the DNA level. The serum also contains a hand-selected blend of other ingredients such as peptides to help strengthen the skin, botanicals like rosehip to soothe, and moisturizing agents such as dimethicone and allantoin that helps to speed up skin recovery. The DNA Repair Complex Serum has been my daily friend, and every day, I feel like I can take back what my scars have stolen from me. Definitely, each skin is different and results are not guaranteed, but I hope that you can find your silver lining too. In partnership with RescueMD, you can get 15% off your order on rescuemd.com with the code FOF15. The serum is also now available on Bloomingdale's.com. Discover what healthy skin healing means with RescueMD. Growing up with my mom, who has been a nurse for the past 30 years, I would always take an adventure in her bookshelf filled with nursing and medical textbooks, encyclopedias, and various human anatomy posters. I still remember perusing through an encyclopedia as a six-year-old, trying to look for pictures of eyes and muscles, attempting to pronounce their lengthy names since I could not really understand explanations about the different body parts. Despite the myriad of children's books with topics ranging from magical universities to talking animals and the different types of rocks, there weren't really any books in the workings of the human body when I was a child, for children. Written by physicians Dr. Betty and Dr. Brandon, the Medical School for Kids book series now provides a charming, easy-to-understand introduction to the wonders of the medical field. These books feature beautiful illustrations and simple explanations teaching children and adults alike about the anatomy, physiology, and diseases of the body. From distinguishing a normal mole from melanoma to discovering the importance of eating healthy food for heart health, to so knowing the vital signs that are monitored in the operating room, people of all ages can truly learn something new through these books as they are designed to teach real medical concepts to readers of all ages in ways that anyone can understand. Take an educational adventure into the intricacies of every organ system of the human body. Paperback copies of the books are available for purchase on Amazon.com and eligible for two-day Prime delivery. Kindle versions of the books are also available on Amazon and free with Kindle Unlimited. You can also visit the website md4kids.org for more information. Get ready for an adventure on the medical school bus!
1: Babies, babies. But the thing is, even in the NICU, it's not just the babies (laughs) that you deal with. It's still the whole parental figures right or the guardians as well so like when i
2: was in med school i would be like oh i like kids i don't like adults so i'm going into peds but yes all of your communication is actually with adults because babies can't talk back so
1: they They can only cry back to you for now someone sent in a question previously as someone who deals with parents and you know i i remember for nursing school for my peds rotation my rotation is actually in the NICU and mm-hmm. we'd always have parents come in and the NICU is a very stressful situation yes. especially for the parents obviously who's I guess everyone's hopeless their babies will go home with them and they'll start a whole new journey but that's not what happens when they're in the NICU right do you have any two stories that you will never ever forget as a physician in the NICU whether it's the scariest moment the most learning moment whether it's in rotations in medical school residency or now as a practicing attending
2: I think that there are moments like that that happen every day there are incredible things that happen in the NICU every day and there are things that are devastating that happen with more frequency than I personally would like Mm. but like the thing that usually sticks with me is that Mm. I think it's such a privilege to like be let into people's families in this way because like you said no like no one's birth plan is like and then we'll go to the NICU so it is like a very life changing frame shifting like Mm. time for anyone who Mm -hmm. ends up there even if it's a short period of time and to be able to be the person that can like give the guidance, have the knowledge, like work with the parents as a team for the baby. I just like think it's like such a nice place of trust to be able yeah. to like be with people. That's one yeah. of the things that I always think about. Like it's crazy that like there's so many people right that go to work and like are a lawyer or a businessman and they just like sit behind a desk all day. Yeah. Yeah. These people are like letting me into their essential yeah. like family yeah. like unit. Yeah. To make some of the biggest decisions they'll ever make in their whole life yeah. so it is like a really special place to
0: work
1: yeah for sure i can imagine how immeasurable the memories and the experiences are especially in the NICU. And you arrive with the whole family unit thing like for those x amount of time whether it's weeks or months they're there in the NQ, like you're the one making the plans with it's like it's like you're a third parent in that situation right making the executive decisions for these babies one special thing about our life um this month and that i was really hoping that we'd have a life this month is because it's national birth defects prevention month i think the common misconception too is that birth defects just happen within the nikki or just within birth but people tend to forget that it goes on throughout outside the hospital and then when they become kids and then become teenagers and then when to adulthood right and but it all starts in your care and. Right? And in your specialty, and you see all of this. And just for those who don't know, like, how would you define linguistically even just what a birth defect is?
2: Mm -hmm. I actually looked this up. For the CDC official definition, is just changes in you know the body structure and function that can affect the way the body works or the way the body looks, and they're considered congenital or birth Mm -hmm. as long as they're present when the baby Mm -hmm. is born.
1: There's a whole range of birth defects, right? There's, there's They can
2: affect basically yeah. any
1: body system. And, yeah, yeah any body system. Yeah, I remember having like newborn babies with kidney agenesis who didn't have kidneys at all, or a lot of the cardiac septal defects and stuff like that. What are the most common birth defects would you say that you see in your service in the NICU?
2: Yeah, I think by the numbers, congenital birth defects are probably the most common. I actually work in a center that has a perinatal like diagnosis delivery mm. center, so we see a lot of <laughs> like birth you know anomalies that are probably not seen very commonly in the general population mm-hmm. but some of the things that we see a lot of we see a lot of myelomeningeal seals which mm-hmm. is um, the spinal cord defects yeah. that babies can have and we also see a lot of congenital diaphragmatic hernias which mm-hmm. is like the diaphragm is the muscle that helps you breathe mm-hmm. um, in your chest and it can have a hole in it and then whatever is in your belly like your stomach your mm-hmm. liver your intestines all end up in the chest which is a problem for the lung development mm-hmm. so we see a lot of that as well i mean there are so many different things that yeah. you, you can be you know born with your intestines outside of your abdomen and yeah. there's lots of things so it's it's nice because there is a wide variety of the things
1: mm-hmm. do you work like in a teaching unit like in a teaching hospital
2: yeah,
1: we have a um, a medical school and a resident. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I guess it's a good experience for those students and residents then to see, like, a spectrum of all of these things. Despite how interesting they are, like, I can just imagine also how sad it is right especially for parents
2: an interesting thing about a lot of congenital things that we see now is that many of them can be prenatally diagnosed because sound has gotten so good so in a lot of ways the babies that have congenital diagnosis like their parents have a lead time to Mm -hmm. like wrap their head around like Mm. what that means what they're expecting so it's almost an easier transition sometimes for Mm. obviously i can't speak for everybody but sometimes for them versus like the parents that have premature babies because like Mm. one day you wake up and in the morning you are having a healthy baby pregnancy and then like 10 hours later all of a sudden you Mm. have like a 24-week baby who Mm. like no one really can give you like a good you know, crystal ball on what the end result of that is going to look like for you. So some of the congenital, you know, anomalies are a little bit easier to kind of get ready for.
1: Yeah, yeah. Beyond the NICU though, let's say family supported, like once the baby leaves the unit. From earlier, some of these birth defects, though known, even like prenatally, some of them can live through it, right? They can live their whole life with the defect. Are there support systems that let's say, you as a physician or the team gives for someone who's leaving the NICU and has a birth defect?
2: I think it depends on what exactly the birth defect is because, you know, some babies will live their whole life without, like, really realizing that that happened. Some are going to need a lot of follow-up with their Mm -hmm. general pediatrician. So we always make sure the pediatrician knows, like, everything that happened so that Mm -hmm. they're all set up before they leave with their pediatrician. Some babies are going to need lots of subspecialist follow-ups. So like Mm -hmm. for the babies that have cardiac problems, like we'll make sure everything's set up with their cardiologist. And then some babies have things that are going to need multiple people. And so Mm -hmm. we now have a lot of like these multidisciplinary clinics where if Mm -hmm. you know, like based on what they had, they're going to need a surgeon. They're going to need a pulmonologist. Like Mm -hmm. they now have their own clinic where Mm -hmm. it's like they go to one appointment and all those people are there. And then most of the babies who are in the NICU actually get something called NICU follow-up clinic. And so that is a neonatologist who does outpatient medicine, and they're usually joined by psychologists who can do a lot of the developmental testing and some general pediatricians. And so that clinic is really good for watching NICU babies for very NICU specific, like expected possible outcomes that may not be as familiar to a general pediatrician who will like probably only have one patient with that in their whole career. So that's why we make sure they are always well set up,
1: whatever
2: follow up they need and like hooked in with everybody and you know we do our best like throughout a whole hospitalization to try to give families an idea of like what the expectations are Mm -hmm. within the realms of like you know we don't know everything and all of this is based on numbers and what's most common but like we try to give a little bit of a roadmap if we have one um, so that they kind of know like what to expect as the baby gets older.
1: Yeah, I mean, even with those expectations, support, I can just I can't imagine how heavy it is for the parents or the guardians of these babies, though, right? Even beyond like birth defects, there's also other many other reasons and diagnoses why these babies are in the NICU right? Many would call it sad, but you're like the mediator of (laughs) all of that, right? Beyond just the medical and the clinical responsibilities. I mean, the you is an ICU, there's a lot of psychosocial aspect in the unit that takes place, like so much heavy emotions. How do you manage that as the physician? You're the one who is taking care of all this, making all these executive decisions. The parents are looking to you and I can imagine parents are fretful and afraid and worried. How do you manage all of that?
2: You know, that's like a very interesting thing that actually no one ever teaches you in medical school. You are kind of like the emotional leader for the team, which is a weird space to be in sometimes when you are processing your own emotions Mm -hmm. and then you're also trying to, you know, process your team's emotions for them with them. Doesn't work for everybody. I really lean on humor. I like, I'm mm-hmm. a little bit silly, a little bit goofy. So I like try to tell a lot of jokes like in the times when we can obviously in the middle of a very serious situation we're not telling the jokes then but when we're all back in the team room and trying to debrief like finding Mm -hmm. not things about the situation to laugh about but things that you can laugh about afterwards and a lot of it I think is just like a group processing like we often all find ourselves in a room talking about what happened and specifically with parents it's a it's a lot of just open listening and that's really what I learned during my fellowship is like when people are going through these very stressful moments the best thing you can do is give them silence because it gives them space to You know think about their emotions and their feelings and then have the opportunity to bring them up to you which if you talk a lot then that never happens so it's a lot of like using silence as a way to you know let everyone be able to have their thoughts and their feelings heard
1: yeah because i was talking to a previous guest once it's a pediatrician and i was saying how parents already have like their preconceived notions of what's best for their kids right and then (laughs) We have the physician or the team here, like from a medical or clinical aspect is saying this is what's best for the kid now. And I feel like it's so hard to mesh that all together. Or is that hard at all?
2: Yeah, I I think it depends on the situation because there are, you know, there are things that are obviously like a standard of care or obviously recommended. But in the NICU, there's actually a lot of things where it's like these are like the two roads and i can't tell you which road to go down because my value of what a family life looks like what you mm-hmm. know your time looks like is not it doesn't matter because it's not my baby so like that only matters if it's my kids mm-hmm. so there's a lot of time that we spend exploring with you know parents like what are your like goals for your baby like what are your fears what is mm-hmm. if you you know when you look and think about them as a 5 year old like what do you what do you envision for them what do you want because people have different things that they value and so Mm -hmm. it's more of exploring together what that specific family's like thoughts, needs, Mm -hmm. feelings are, and then, you know, saying like these are your options and you think about which one, you know, aligns best with like what you're hoping for. Yeah,
1: for sure. It definitely is a journey.
2: Uh, thank you is a journey. and It's frequently a not straight journey. <laughs> there's a lot of uh-huh. ups downs. We're on a roller coaster sometimes. <laughs> For
1: sure. So. I mean, I can just imagine like good babies, such a sensitive stage, right? It's such a sensitive space. I mean, besides the like the premature babies, even like the non-premies, but there's so many things going on. It is such a sensitive space. Are there some times where you're like, oh my gosh. There's this kind of baby, and it's literally like a roadmap to get to the root of what's going on, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the babies that I see are not very straightforward, (laughs) um, and they are they take a lot of time, a lot of effort. We do a lot of group thinking, even with our attending Mm -hmm. group, where Mm -hmm. we like people will just like sit down with like three or four other attendings Mm -hmm. who are all on purpose and be like, listen this is what's happening. Like, what do you think? Like what? So like, it's the art of medicine. There is evidence-based options, obviously, but every baby is different. And so there's always like, the decision points that you come to where you're like there's no clear-cut answer so yeah when everyone else think? like i'm always like i need to phone a friend i need to <laughs> pull the audience like,
1: yeah. phone a friend call an audience call another attending yeah i think it's a good thing with healthcare right and medicine specifically is how you can just like collaborate and uh, ask yeah. for help when needed also because it's like it's always a learning moment you always learn something new every day and the hospital that i work at, like even attendings would say oh yeah i learned something new every single day and I think oh, it's yeah, the yeah. beauty with our field right with health care and i think it's also about being open to learning as well and like you said evidence-based data and i just can't forget about our conversation earlier this <laughs> afternoon <laughs> um it's usually the those who have no background in science or medicine who have the most to say about a specific topic. But speaking of science, you are a scientist and I know you're working on a research. Can you talk more about that, Doc?
2: Yeah, so I um I actually spend eighty percent of my time in a lab, mm-hmm. so I'm mostly um a scientist. But right now I'm doing a project that's trying to use nanoparticles as like a drug delivery device or system you could say to immune cells as a way to you know kind of change the way that we use our immune cells the way they you know treat or the way they like um attack infections and so there's a lot of like different this is another thing like there's a million avenues to go down and i'm just like slowly like ticking my way like every time I find one thing out then that means I need to like do another experiment to find something else out So it's yeah. still a little bit fluid about what it will the project will look like in the end um, But that's kind of like the gist of it
0: All throughout high school and bouts of college, I suffered from severe acne I cried almost every day looking at the mirror. I wore hoodies during the summer to hide my cheeks When my mom asked me what I wanted for my birthday, all I wished for was a visit to the dermatologist. I tried so many products and saw so many estheticians, physicians, and other advanced providers. But I know that my mere access to these products and providers is a privilege. Many who suffer from acne and other skin conditions live in many underserved populations where access to dermatology specialists can be difficult due to limited resources. To help bridge this divide, Ben a dermatology nurse practitioner, recently launched Your Skin Care Experts Derm course, which can allow other specialties to provide comprehensive care to patients through dermatology in places where access may be limited. The course can also be used to help better train extended providers within the field of dermatology to feel confident and empowered in their knowledge. From fortifying skin anatomy to identifying skin types and concerns, breaking down acne, building skincare routines, and going over active ingredients, The course seeks to further knowledge in skincare, anti-aging, acne, and overall holistic skin health. Friends of France is partnering with Your Skincare Expert so that you can get 10% of the course with the code FRANZ, that's F-R-A-N-Z, or visit yourskincareexpertcom slash franz. My skin and my life were changed by the right products and the right people. Through this course, I hope that this would also be made possible for others. Anyone who knows me knows that I love boba. After a heavy dinner? No problem. I have a second stomach for boba, and sometimes even a third. But each cup of bubble tea is definitely a guilty pleasure, given that the average cafe made milk tea has over 100 calories per serving, over 20 grams of high glycemic sugar, and is packed with artificial flavors. I am so glad that the guilty days are over with Twirl, the world's first canned, plant based milk tea. With only 45 to 50 calories per serving, and containing 6 to 7 grams of sugar, and low glycemic sweeteners at that, goodbye to sugar crash, Twirl is made with pea milk, the most sustainable plant-based milk on the market, regenerating the soil where it comes from. This is thanks to the fact that fair trade and organic are the names of the game, as the teas are sourced from biodiverse family farms in China, Japan, and Taiwan that practice sustainable farming techniques. No artificial flavors are ever used. Choose from three antioxidant flavors of the chocolatey Taiwan-style black milk tea, floral jasmine, and nutty hojicha. Enjoy all of these flavors, each being nitro infused, that you can feel and hear. Their fresh, silky, and creamy texture with each pop of the can. Let's enjoy tasty, creamy, shelf-stable, and healthy milk tea together for 10% off using the code FRANZ10. That's F R A N Z one zero. Now available on twirlmilktea.com or Amazon. Twirl around and it's goodness.
1: You know, the healthcare system recently has been very under hot water and hot fire because many say that it's crumbling down, many say that it's very abusive field where everyone's taken for granted. I guess beyond the suggestions and recommendations for applications and stuff like that, for like a very personal field. Do you think that healthcare is still a field worth getting into for those students and those who's always wanted to be in medicine.
2: I think there are still plenty of places where healthcare and medicine can definitely improve. I do think that things are even better than when I was in med school. So You know sometimes it's hard because you're like this is such an old like institution like it's hard to Mm -hmm. change those things when a culture is so entrenched but Mm -hmm. the changes are happening so i feel like hopeful that things will continue to get better it is a hard space especially for like specifically like medical school training and Mm -hmm. residency where like people need to be supported to like have mental health, help and support as they needed and have like time outside of the hospital. But also at the end of the day, at like some point, like you're alone taking care of someone else's life. So there is this like hard balance between making sure that people are becoming proficient in their training and making sure that we're also supporting them and not like ruining their yeah. whole lives while we're yeah. doing that i don't think we know the answer to that yet you know i think people are, are trying and sometimes we're almost swinging too far in the opposite direction but i am hopeful that as more people become advocates for having some sort of work-life integration that is yeah. actually like something that supports happy and healthy physicians yeah. Yeah. that will get closer to it and mm-hmm. you know like i said there's like things you know i think about all the time like oh gosh I have to like work on the holidays I hate that yeah. but I like you know so many other people that do things that are working on holidays and when I think about what they're doing I'm like I don't want to do that and so yeah. like yeah. they're like the things yeah. that sometimes I get like meh about yeah. i like at least at the end of the day like I go to work and I get to yeah. see a million babies mm-hmm. and like sometimes I literally save a baby's life which sounds yeah. so dramatic but it's yeah. My friends are like, sure. make fun of me because they're like, but you actually do that. And I'm like, yeah. I know, but it sounds so like weird to be like, I literally saved someone's life. But yeah. I mean, that's what happens in the NICU.
1: And that's the amazing thing with the US for and getting the, the unitologist. Like you're literally securing the lives of someone who'll live their own yeah. life and become an adult someday, right? And have their yeah. own life. Stories, which is amazing and i love what you said about the whole change in the medical world too i mean i was talking to an attending the other day and <laughs> she was like oh you know the hours have changed so much for residency there's like <laughs> at least now there's a cap for 80 hours <laughs> so when i was a resident there was no such thing just that you will work until you work and i think that's also something that what's not talked about though especially in these times that's actually very prevalent despite not talking about is the rate of physician suicide right especially um, those in the residency and i think that's where you were talking about the aspect of mental health is so uh, important i think there really must be a push for not only changes within the medical system but also like inspiring people to have a life outside medicine right to have the compression (laughs) I guess it depends on what specialist you are what branch of medicine you are it sometimes you do bring homework right and it's sometimes not just like the physical clinical work but also like the emotional toll on it for you how do you decompress out of work out of medicine
2: yeah i like to stay busy which i think anyone who has followed my instagram will probably <laughs> realize i i just i plan all sorts of as long as you know, my shift means that I'll get to it. Like, I plan all sorts of events. You know, I like to go out to dinner with friends. I like to learn, you know, do classes, learn new skills, mm-hmm. yeah. new Classes. Um, you know, like jewelry making. I, don't know, I made some coasters last year. Like, there's a long list of things that I will try just to do. And sleep. I, like, <laughs> I've never slept more in my life than I do now. But I think after, you know, six years of, like, what happens to your sleep cycle. Oh, it, yeah and then you really appreciate like sleep I feel it's not like resting I feel like it's an active like activity for me mm-hmm. like I need to rest and I'm better after I rest so now I'm like I love to sleep <laughs> like I, I'm not one of those people who's like oh you're wasting time if you're sleeping I'm like I could sleep all day at this yeah, point you can sleep,
1: I mean you spent the past few years of your life not sleeping for residency right and um, and training and I, one thing we lo- we have in common is we love sweets and dessert is yes, what I I order. love
2: dessert <laughs> oh my
1: gosh there's always sp- so I went out to lunch earlier with a friend and we literally ate like a lot and I said oh you want to get dessert and she was like um do you have space for that? Like, There's a separate stomach for Dessert
2: stomach, right? of course. Everyone knows that. <laughs>
1: do, you, do you bake then, or do you know Do you make it own? Oh soup?
2: my! I like before residency. I was like like I made these like fancy fancy cupcakes yeah. all the time. I like made the sugar cookies. You know that people. Um, decorated and I didn't have time in residency and now I live in such a small apartment that I don't like have space for baking ingredients or yeah. goods so I mostly just enjoy other people's desserts at this point Um but baking also is another or cooking in general if you like yeah. cooking although then you have to like clean yeah. a lot which yeah but that's like another good stress yeah. reliever too yeah. so yeah now I love eating dessert and ice cream yeah. I love it.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> Except that you only also have a spoonful, right?
2: Well, I mean, I mean everything you need to you, yeah. you need to have moderation, right? Yeah. Like you need a whole pint of ice cream every night yeah. Yeah. and be healthy. So, like, yeah. if I just have one
1: spoon, I can, like, tell myself I'm still beat. <laughs> me too. I am the same exact way. And also me, like, with a chip, honestly. I don't know I, how I, you eat one chip. I don't know
2: how you do <laughs> I don't
1: know. I just see the bag, and I'm like, this is so much sodium. I'll just have one chip. And that does it for me. I mean, sometimes maybe two or three, but mostly, mostly one. You know, I learned so much today, not only about, you know, birth defect month. And I think it's just so important to have awareness for it, not just for expecting parents or also just for the general public, right? I think the social media is the land of misinformation and disinformation. It
2: has the power for so much good and it yes. sometimes misses the mark.
1: <laughs> yes, like, it has all the potential to be so great to be so good and to be so factual and evidence-based but for the most part it is not but we have people like you who are propagating sound and evidence-based information and thank you for that and you know another A big reason, too, of why I made this podcast was the last part we talked about is having a life outside medicine. I think so many times, physicians and other practitioners are lumped in this prim and proper role of just solely in their scrubs, solely in their white coat, right? Like all all the time. (laughs) Yeah, it's like there's no life outside of medicine. They're they're just doctor. They're just an NP or a PA or a nurse. But they can't have fun. But... (laughs) As I have been interviewing so many physicians and NPs and physical therapists and dentists, it's like we do have a life, right? Like we do enjoy life too. And I think it's so important to have that decompression out of work because of the whole mental health aspect that we talked about too. And thank you so much again for giving us your time tonight it's and your amazing. experience. And I hope you have a great and warm rest of the night. See you, goes. <laughs> thank you so much. Good night. Bye. Bye.
0: We have now reached the end of the story. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Friends of France. I hope you had an enjoyable adventure learning about our expert guest, their work, and why they do the things that they do please check out the rest of the series available on all podcast platforms. Please also consider following the podcast on the platform that you prefer, turn on the alerts for new episodes so you don't miss new stories, and give us a rating to support the show. You can find more updates on the podcast's official Instagram at friends of France Pod or my personal Instagram at Chris chrisfrance. That's without the I, because there is no I in team. <laughs> I'm kidding. Someone already took the username. Have a great day or night, everybody.